0: Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is Jonah chapter 2, Prayer and Obedience. Well, Christmas season, but we're still in Job, so I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry, Jonah. (laughs) Thank you. Starts with a J, second letter's the same. Experiences of life are very different, though. Jonah's very much a disobedient person, and Job very much was not. And um, boy, do their paths. They have (coughs) similar... It's very, it maybe that's, maybe it's uh, providential that I said something like that because it's very interesting. We can look at both lives and say, well, there's a, must be two dis- disobedient people because of their experiences. You know, he's going, Job's going through a hard time, John's going through a hard time. They must be, must be both sinners, right? Bad guys. One was, one was not. Be careful, be careful trying to call it in someone else's life, especially because how accurate have you been in your own life? Fifty percent? Thirty percent? Ten, you don't even know what's going on in your all life. You're going to start calling in someone else's life. You have, you don't have enough to do. That's what you. That's the problem. Be careful, careful, careful. Jonah chapter two. We're going to be there in just a bit. Uh, three preachers were sitting uh, at lunch discussing uh, different things, aspects of ministry. Got in a conversation about prayer and the importance of prayer, and and got into sort of a, a little bit of an argument about the the. How to, how to accomplish prayer? One of them said the best way to accomplish prayer is make sure your hands are folded, fingers have to be pointed to heaven. You know, it's a symbolic act of worship. He says, why would you not want to pray that way? And he said, well, I I don't disagree with that necessarily. The other one, but he, uh, the second one, he said, but uh, but I think you should be kneeling when you do that. He says, how can you truly be humble when when you're not kneeling? And of course, hands put together and everything. And the third one says, I disagree with both of you. He says, your hands put together or on your knees or whatever. He says, the most humble way to pray is on your face says, get on your face before God. There's examples of that in the scriptures, people getting on their face before God. And they were having this conversation back and forth and sort of arguing. And standing behind them in the background was a guy that was working on some of the electricity there in the restaurant. And he overheard what they said. And he sort of chimed in. He says, you know, I'm not a preacher and I don't necessarily know all the stuff you're talking about. He says, but I can tell you the most effective prayer I ever prayed. I said, really, what was that? He says, hanging upside down, 40 foot high off of a power pole. He said, that was the most effective prayer I ever prayed. I don't don't know about these positions in prayer, but he says, that was the most effective position for me. Well, today we're going to be reading about a most unusual prayer position. Maybe the most unusual, certainly in the Bible. Maybe the most unusual ever. We're going to read about a guy who prayed. Tell me where you prayed from. He prayed from inside of a fish. I don't know if you can top that. How about a fish story? That is a fish story. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1 is Jonah running from God and doing uh, the exact opposite of what God told him to do. And God saw to it that there was a storm, that Jonah was thrown into the water in order to stop the storm. And he appointed, it says, a fish who swallowed Jonah. And so Jonah, it says in verse 1 of chapter 2, prayed to the Lord God from the stomach of the fish. How did he breathe in there? I don't know. Don't ask me. Please. Because I'm going to tell you the same thing. I don't know. All I know is God signs off through his son Jesus in the New Testament on this story. As Jesus equivocates the three days and three nights in which Jonah is in the belly of the fish to be in the exact same time period, literal three days and three nights, of a literal man who is in a literal fish for a little three days and nights, Jesus says, I will also literally be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. Literally. So take your position, whatever you want to do. Just know where you stand with regards to Jesus on that matter. Anyway. "...prayed from the stomach of a fish, and he said, I called out to my, in my distress to the Lord, and he answered me." Now that's amazing. you think this guy wasn't going to get an answer. Sounds like God's trying to kill him. God doesn't try, let's everybody, everybody look up here. God doesn't try to do anything, just so you know. He either does it or he doesn't. So if he wanted him dead, where would he be? He'd be dead. He's alive, why? Because he wants him to be alive. Inside of a fish, nonetheless, but he's still alive. I called him out of distress, and the Lord answered me. Wow, that's amazing. That's an instructive thing. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and thou didst hear my voice. Thou hast cast me into the deep. He certainly did. Into the heart of the seas. The currents engulfed me. Thy breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from thy sight, he thought. In fact, no, that's not true. God was, he was completely in the sight of God, wasn't he? That's why the storm came, and that's why the fish was there, because God had not let him go. Jonah in his mind thinking, I'm running from God, I'm no longer a prophet of God. And God saying, no, you're not. Nothing changed. We saw last time, your disobedience doesn't change who you are. You can be disobedient, it doesn't change your position with a child of God. You weren't saved because you were good. You're not going to be unsaved because you're bad. God doesn't quit you because you run. You're going to find God much more involved in your life, maybe, than you've ever experienced when you run. And you won't like how he's involved, either did Jonah. So they cast me into the deep, he says. I said, I have been expelled from thy sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward thy holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I love that. It's one of my favorite verses. I don't know why. (laughs) He didn't have to include that. But yeah, I just have this picture. I've had weeds wrapped around my head, actually. So I just had this picture in my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. That's pretty deep. The earth and its bars was around me forever, and thou hast brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to thee into thy holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to thee, he says, with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Old and New Testament. Old times, new times, this time, any other time, salvation is from God. It is not from man. It is not from a church. It is not from a ritual. It is not from something that you do. It is from something that God has done. So salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah. That's the only way he's going to come up. All right, guys. He could have sneezed him, I guess. I don't know. But he vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now, I'm sure nothing else was in his stomach but Jonah, right? Probably not. Three days and three nights in digestive juices, what would that do to you? Speculation says he probably was white, like literally as white as a person could buy would bleach your skin. So, And then not too smelly, uh, not too smelling good, I should say. So, wow, what an what a incredible uh, vision he was, I'm sure. So, we have this prayer of Jonah from inside the belly of a fish, and we're going to continue here in chapter 3 in just a bit. But several things that we're going to learn from, first of all, his prayer, and then secondly, from his obedience that followed it. Jonah's prayer teaches us that God hears us despite our disobedience. Now, that's important. That's important because, like I said, we already had the raising of hands here of all the perfect people. So we've got to bust a bust diso- of disobedient people at some time in your life, maybe right now. You need to know something. Disobedience does not disengage you from, who, from God. It does not. You were not saved, like I said, because you were good. You're not going to be unsaved because you're bad. God still hears his children. Now, he's not in favor of your disobedience. He's not happy with your disobedience. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't stop him from hearing you. He hears you in your disobedience. That's awesome. That's amazing. Because I would think, as Jonas, as Jonah says here, I thought you weren't going to hear me. Well, wrong, Jonah. As we saw last time uh, that we were together, that disobedience hurts us. It also hurts others. It hurts those that love us. It hurts those that look up to us. It hurts those that rely on us. You don't sin by you may have sinned by yourself. But you're not going to experience the consequences by yourself, to be sure. Doesn't change who we are. Jonah was still a prophet of God, albeit in the water and in the belly of a fish, wasn't he? Didn't change anything. Nothing changed about his identity whatsoever. And now we're going to add one more thing to that. It also doesn't change who God is either. God is a God of second chances. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Anybody here thankful that God gives you second chances? Third, fourth, twenty, thirty, forty, eighty, hundred, thousand chances? He's awesome, isn't he? God is great. He is good to us. Notice the second chance he gives Jonah here, verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah how many times? The second time. Numero dos. Here we go. Jonah, you're going to do what I say. And believe me, he was listening, wasn't he? Arise, go to Nineveh. Smelling like fish guts and probably white as a ghost. The great city and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. Fairly simple instructions. So he tells him to go and do these things. Uh, God is a God of second chances to be sure. But let me just throw out a word of caution for you. He doesn't always give second chances. If that's what you're running on. If that's the hope of your current disobedience or your intent on not doing what he's telling you to do. I need to tell you biblically, not my opinion, but straight up from the Bible, which is what we're about here. We're not about your opinion, my opinion, our collective opinions. From the Bible, God does not always give second chances. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Come on. Jesus wept. What's the second shortest verse in the Bible? See, you thought you knew stuff. <laughs> That's right. Remember Lot's wife. What do you remember about her? She didn't get a second chance. What did, Lot, what did God tell Lot and his wife and his daughters? Flee! Don't look back. She looked back and God says, bad girl, I'm going to give you one more chance. That's not what he did. She turned to a pillar of salt. Now why does God give some second chances and thousand chances and others not? He's God, okay? Let him be God. You be you. You let him be God. He has mercy on whom he has mercy. He gives second chances to whom he gives second chances to. And then otherwise he does not. The the thing is, again, it underscores the issue of obedience is so important. If you're running on the calculation of God being a second chancer, I want to diminish your hope. The Bible wants to diminish your hope in that. Don't run on that. God is awesome. He hears us despite our disobedience, but don't run on the hope that you're going to get to do it for a certain amount of time and then He's going to reel you in. Uh, forgive the pun here, but that's what happened here. He reeled in this big fish. And, and, wow, I don't think you want to go through the, the digestive system of a fish in order to figure out that you want to obey God in your life. Jonah had to do it. Don't do that yourself. So Jonah's prayer teaches us that, that he hears us despite our disobedience. Jonah's prayer, secondly, teaches us that God hears us and is gracious to us despite his judgment. So we could look, we could look on the outside of Jonah's life. One, he's disobeying. Two, he's fallen under So he gets thrown in a torrent of a sea, and then he gets swallowed by a fish. This is not a man that God's going to hear, right? Wrong. Wrong. Again, it didn't change who God is. It didn't change who Jonah is. God is still the God of Jonah, and Jonah is still the child of God. And so you can look on the outside and say, well, under judgment like that, no one is going to, God's not going to hear him. Well, it isn't true. God is being gracious to him. Nonetheless, harsh grace, yeah, But it's still grace. There is something worse than being swallowed by a fish, guys. There is something worse. It can always be worse. And God, even though delivering you into a difficult circumstance that you might be in today, I'm telling you, it can get worse. And don't try him for that. Don't hope for that. Like I said, don't plan that way. Don't go that way. So God places a premium notice. What is he doing with Jonah? Here's my question for you and for us to consider. Why didn't he just kill him? Why why is it the end of the story, he was thrown into the sea and swallowed by a fish, and that sets an example for the rest of us to never do this? Why not that? Why keep him alive inside of a fish, I don't know how, and then vomit him on the land and give him a number, number two chance? Why? Why not kill him? Isn't it easier, it seems to me, to make another one just like him since you're God? Let me ask your parents a question what's easier to let your kid run or to continually rein them in in uh, correction what's easier to let your kid do whatever he wants to do therefore you get to do whatever you want to do if if I, I, I can remember I don't know how many times approaching a discipline situation with my kids in which I didn't think in the process How's this going to hurt me? And it wasn't a question of this is going to hurt me more than it, it's going to hurt you. I never really found that to be true, honestly. I don't know. Maybe y'all are better than me. No, it was more of uh, if she gets grounded, who else gets grounded? No, her mother. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do, Valerie. My wife's not here. I don't know what you're going to do, sweetie, but I, put, I grounded her, and so good luck. I'm going to go to church. Go fishing. If she's on restrictions and can't go have any fun, guess who else gets to go on restrictions and not have any fun? That's what it means to be a mom and dad, isn't it? See, it's a lot easier to cut them loose. If you want to just talk about ease, do whatever you want to. I get to do whatever I want to. But it's, it's a restricting thing when you love a child enough to discipline them. You have to restrict yourself. You had them, right? That's a restriction. Now you got to grow them. That's a restriction. And in case you don't know, they're not going to do everything you tell them. In order to correct that, you're going to have to restrict them and you. Like I said, it would have been easier for God, in my opinion, to just simply kill him and make another one like him. What does he do? He reels him in. God places a premium on his relationship. He takes him through a storm, puts him through the belly of a who knows what kind of fish. Why? Because God, it's more important that Jonah get his life right with God than than God demonstrate the fact that he can kill you and make another one like you. Isn't that right? It is. So here's what we got. So it's not so much that God is paying back Jonah. In fact, I would suggest to you, he's not paying him back. He's bringing him back, isn't he? He's bringing him back. See, that's what God's about. God is about bringing you back. God is not about giving you what you deserve. Because none of us would be here. If that was what he was really about. We'd all be dead. Well, we're not. Why? Because God is about bringing us back, retrieving, rescuing, saving. Remember, you never heard that word. It's in the Bible. Jesus is the save your. Why? Because you have something you need to be saved from. He is that, the kind of God that, that he is. He puts a premium on that kind of stuff. We may be tempted to think that when we suffer, it's because we're paying for our sins. Let me just speak to that very clearly. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay for your sins. Once you've accepted that payment that God offers you freely, that pays for not only present sins, but also past sins. And because God is omnipotent and omniscient, he knows everything, future sins. Then you will no longer ever, forever in your life or eternity, ever pay for a sin. Because Jesus has already done that. Amen? That is strong, good theology. Jesus has already paid for my sins, so whatever you're going through, if you're a believer, is not paying for your sins. Now, I'm not saying it's not a consequence of your sins, but it's not a payment. God's not something up; He's not running a ledger up there and saying, "Here's your debts and here's your assets," and He's trying to equal them out. That's not the process you're in. God is in a process, listen, of bringing you back. It's not a payback; it is a bring back. And yeah, he will take you through some difficult circumstances to accomplish that, but it's still, he's bringing you back to obedience. Hear that word. God places a premium on your obedience. Believe me, if he didn't turn Jonah loose and let him sink to the bottom of the sea, but instead him through the digestive system of fish to bring him back, he will bring you back. Jonah had no love in his heart for those people. Jonah was clearly outright disobedient, and yet what God? what did God do? He remained God with him. And he remained his son, his child. God's going to do the same thing with you. Uh, here's, Here's an instructive thing from Job. Talk about a person who suffered. See, I knew I had Job in the sermon somewhere. That's what got me off. Those who suffer, God, if you will, he delivers in their suffering. So part of your suffering you're going through is not necessarily paying for your sins. It's just bringing you back. He's delivering you. Isn't that interesting? That was he doing with Jonah, wasn't he? Delivering him. It's a weird way to do it. A lot of people would have questioned it. But the end, like I said, the the proof of the pudding is the eating of it, right? He speaks to them in their affliction. You're in affliction today. Maybe you should pray the little prayer of Samuel. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Have you prayed that prayer? Maybe in your dark place where you are today, in your hurt, in your pain, in your trial, in your difficulty, in your confusion. Maybe... A good prayer would be, I would suggest, speak, God. Speak. You're clearly trying to speak to me. I want to hear what you've got to say in this circumstance. And sometimes it's hard to do. I know. Believe me. In the midst of those circumstances. But God is trying to speak to you. God is. God is trying to get a message through to you. He was to Jonah. He is to you. So we learn from Jonah's prayer that, that God speaks even in our, even in our wrath, even, even, even going through these trials, he's still speaking to us. Third thing, Jonah's prayer teaches us that sometimes God answers in stages. And I would say not sometimes, most oftentimes, my experience anyway. God answers in stages. Now we love it, I love it when God answers in just a whole hog thing. I mean yesterday I was terrible and today I'm healed. Yesterday it was bad, and today it's all good. Yesterday I was confused, and today it makes it all sense. I love those kind of things. I would say they're rare, though, in my life. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's not you. But in my experience, in most cases, God heals, God delivers, God answers in stages. So he was in the depths of the weeds with reeds wrapped around his head. And then stage two was he gets swallowed by a fish, which, by the way, was an improvement. So he's in the depths with the weeds wrapped around his head. How long is that going to last? Fifty Fifty seconds. One minute, how long can you hold your breath? Start holding your breath right now. When you pass out, we'll know. Start. Go. He's not going to last long. So he gets swallowed by a fish, which seems like it's worse. But now was going to be dead 10 seconds later. And somehow he lives inside this fish. So it was an upgrade, was it not? In fact, that's what he says. He says that. I called up him out of distress. He answered me. I cried from the depths of Sheol. And thou just hear my voice. He cast me out, but here I was cast out, and I was rescued. So a fish is a rescue. Yeah, it was. It's an improvement. He recognizes, even though we would say, how can that be a whole lot better? He's alive. He's alive. That's up. That's up from where he was going, to be sure. Sometimes when God restores us, it's not in an instant, but mostly he restores us in stages. And by the way, not all the stages are exactly pleasant. But here's what we should do as disobedient people. Any improvement, we ought to be grateful for. He's given you what you don't deserve. Learn an attitude of gratitude. We just got off of Thanksgiving, didn't we? Learn an attitude of gratitude. Not to, when the whole thing gets there, I'm going to thank God. You're wasting a lot of opportunities to thank God because he's doing a lot for you right now. Any improvement, you need to be grateful for. Which brings, which brings us to our second major issue here. It underscores the whole importance of obedience. This could have been all avoided, Jonah, had you just simply done what you've been told to do the first time. Isn't that right? But instead, you've got to go off and do all this stuff, and so i got to take you through this process, and now you're bleached white, smelling like fish guts. There you go, Jonah. Here you have it. Jonah, he couldn't imagine, listen, he couldn't have imagined a face. fate, fate I'm going to say it, he couldn't have imagined a fate worse than having to preach to the Ninevites. That's why he ran. He couldn't have imagined a fate worse. Well, he got his imagination expanded, didn't he? There, were, there, are, there are things worse than doing what God wants you to do. I can't do that, God. That's horrible. That will be terrible. That won't end well. Maybe so, but it won't be near as bad as you not doing that. It won't be near as bad. Jonah found out that the hard way. I don't recommend that to you. Many times, listen, when we disobey, it's because we don't trust that God's way is the best way for us. Isn't that right? We don't trust that God's way is the best way for us. I have a better way than God's way. We may not say that consciously, but that's what we're saying overtly or covertly, to be sure. Here's here's what I want you to hear, maybe more than anything else I've got to say this morning. When we disobey... It's because, listen, we trust ourselves more than we trust God. When we disobey, most often, it's because we simply trust ourselves more than we trust God. He can't imagine how how that would be any good ever for him to go preach to the Ninevites. So he comes up with a better solution in his mind. It's better for me to go to Tarshish and get on a boat and possibly get swallowed by a fish. He was wrong. We, we disobey because we trust ourselves more than we trust God. Is that true for you today in your disobedience? Because you just trust yourself more than you trust him. Well, I would never say it that way. Well, I said it for you so that now maybe we can go together. It's better that you deal with it straight on, head on, than you just try to make some kind of something that isn't necessarily true. Let's call it what it is. God is better, listen, at blessing you than than you are. God is better at it. God is better, listen, at your life than you are. He's better. Let him run it. He's better at it. This is your first and last time through. He's been through it with hundreds of millions. He knows. He created you. Let him be God, and you figure out that you're not, and things will get so much better. It underscores, like I said, the importance of obedience. And and here's the second thing. Obedience is actually quite simple. Take a look at the, compared to disobedience, I should say. Look at how simple the requirements of Jonah here are. So he's getting a second chance, and notice God lays on him the whole plan. Notice the plan only takes four verses. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh. Okay, arise, that's get out of the fish vomit. I guess that's where he is. Take a shower. I don't know. I'm hoping. Go to Nineveh. That's northeast. I think that's pretty simple. Right? Arise, go to Nineveh. Number three, proclaim the great city. The great city proclaimed to it a proclamation, which I'm going to tell you. How hard is that? And then notice, it's not some extrapolated sermon. It's not some major 25-point discourse. It doesn't have to write a book or nothing. Notice verse 4. Then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk, and he cried out, yet 40 days, and then will be overthrown. Oh, I am so upset because I have never preached a sermon that short, ever. <laughs> one sentence. He gets away with one cotton-picking sentence, and that's all that God has him do. He's got to walk 900 miles to do it. And he's got to walk through a city that takes three, three days to walk around. I mean, it's just a big, it's a big town. But all he has is one sentence. Notice, there's no word of love here. God doesn't say you need to love them. You need to change your heart, Jonah, toward these people. God doesn't wait for that. God's already has. He's not waiting for Jonah to change his heart. Jonah, that's going to be a process for Jonah. God's got a a job for him to do. You need to go preach to these people, love them or not, like them or not, say these words to them. And that's that's all he's got to do. Can we do that? Can't, you You know, as they said, you only have one job, and that's all you got to do. I'm thinking I could do that if I was Jonah. That's not that hard. It, it's not that hard. And the, the hard thing in, in most cases, and by the way, in my, in my experience, the hard thing is not doing what God tells you to do. God's, God's jobs typically are simple, straightforward, just like that. Go and do this, and continue to do this until I tell you something different. That's what I'm doing. People ask me why I'm still pastor of this church after 17 and a half years. You know why? 'Cause I hadn't told me anything different. It's just simple. I wake up every day and I'm still the pastor of the Island Baptist Church. I'm checking my pulse. Yep. I feel good, I'm still the pastor. I feel bad, still the pastor. I like what I do, still the pastor. I don't like what I do, still the pastor. Gotta, gotta, but it's a simple job, right? Do what, do what God tells you to do. Continue to do what God tells you to do until He tells you to do something different. Jonah's got the same call. Go and do something. The hard thing, listen again, is not what God asks us to do. It's our objections that we raise to it. See, it's the collision between God's love for sinners and Jonah's prejudice of the Ninevites. He hates them. He's prejudiced completely against them. That's where the that's where the rub is. It's not the job. Oh, well, I'm having a hard time doing what God calls me to do. No, you're not. You're having a hard time with the thickness of your head. That's where your hardness is. That thing is thick. That's where your problem is. It's not what God, it's not what he's called you to do. Jonah was in the right place doing the right thing, but his, his, the thing that was causing the problems was his Jonah ideas and his Jonah desires. The thing most, mostly that trips us up is not what God asks us to do, but our imaginations of how it could all go wrong that's where our problem is. Oh, it won't work for this reason and that reason, and my life will fall apart if these people won't like me, and my family will disown me. Uh, well, yep, yeah. Jonah, you're right. You're right. You're right that God is going to reel you in. You need to know that. Obedience is actually simple, number, number three about obedience. Obedience produces amazing results. Let's, let's keep reading. Amazing results, chapter 3. Verse 4 says he went and preached this one line sermon. Verse 5 says, Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called and fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe from him and covered himself with sackcloth. This is the leader of this heathen group. And his immediate response to a one line sermon, not a very good sermon, in my opinion is that he, he covers himself in sackcloth and ash, and sits down in ashes. He issues a proclamation, it says in verse 7, and said in, in Nineveh, In Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, or herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink. So complete fast, no water, no food. Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Let men call on God earnestly. That each may turn from his wicked ways, from the violence in which he These are godless people, got no Bible, no churches. Preaching of one sermon, they had this incredible uh, reversal. Who knows, he says, verse 9, that God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. So the whole city repents. And what does God do? Same thing he always does in response to repentance. Verse 10, and God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way. And then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. You think you're too far gone. As long as you keep with that mindset, you are. As long as you don't turn, you are. But when you turn, this is always God's response. Always. Always He relents. Always He forgives. Always. No exceptions. As long as you're breathing on this earth, there is opportunity for repentance. There's opportunity to return. There's opportunity to be healed. There's opportunity to be delivered. All the things that that these Ninevites got are the same thing that can happen to us. What an incredible turn. I want you to notice here a couple things. First of all, it says that they believed who? They didn't believe Jonah. They believed who? They believed God. Isn't that interesting? So Jonah, with a scowl on his face, smelling bad, looking bad, Inhospitable, no love at his heart, I don't think at all for these people, no indication whatsoever. In fact, every indication to the contrary. And yet, even though all that, the message of God still got through and they believed God in that process. Isn't that amazing? So we think that the message of God and the work of God is dependent on how good we are, how gifted we are, how great our talents are, how great our education is, how beautiful our sanctuaries are. You know my answer to that is (laughs) no, it's not. It's dependent upon the work of God. If we're resting upon any of those things, listen, we're disqualifying God from being in our presence and really doing what God can do. We really are. Look how great our our church is. Look how educated our pastor is. Look how great our stuff is. Look how great our programs are. Mm, Do you have to have all that? You don't have to have any of that. And Jonah stands as a stark reality to that conclusion for sure. So notice, they believe God, not Jonah. Number two, notice... He doesn't preach, he doesn't preach, All, especially you steeped evangelicals, all the Baptists especially, look up here. He doesn't preach not one word of God loves you and has a great plan for your life. Never. He doesn't say that at all. Now was that true? Yes. Why did he send him? Why did he take him out of a fish? Because he loved them and had a great plan for their life. That wasn't what he preached. What did he preach? He preached what exactly what God told him to preach, what had nothing to do with love. It had everything to do with wrath and fleeing that wrath. And you may say, Well, that's the Old Testament. Okay, here's the New Testament, Acts chapter two, Peter, second sermon. Here's what he says to the Jews. Notice how he what he calls them on. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. He sticks their nose right in the sin. Why? Because that is the way you do it. That is the biblical way that you do it. Nowhere in the New Testament or old will you find the sermon or the, or the verse. Or I shouldn't say the verse. Will you find somebody testifying to a lost person, God loves you and has a plan for your life? You will not find that. Why don't we find that in our pulpits? I don't know. Where do we get that from? I'm going to say carefully, not from the Bible. We've invented it. We've invented it. Every time you see a preacher preach, you have these kind of words. That was that was Peter preaching to the Jews. Here's Paul preaching to the Gentiles. Notice, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, you bunch of dummies, he says, God is now declaring that men that all people everywhere should repent. Stop doing what you are doing or else, because he says God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Where's the love of God has a plan for your life in that? I don't see it. I don't see it. Here's, here's, here's a, a, a point, maybe an aside, I don't know. Some say that to repent just for the sake of escaping judgment in hell is a poor reason. And a part of me would agree. There, there are better reasons to turn to God because, first of all, God's awesome. Secondly, God is great, and, and he, we owe Him everything. We should turn to Him in love. There, there should come a day, hopefully, as we, as we mature, that we, the reason why I come to God is not because I'm afraid of Him, but because I love Him and because I want to honor Him with my life and because He's great and there's nothing better for me. I need to grow up into that, don't I? That needs to be who I am, and that needs to be the direction that I'm going. But, but to say that to not repent for the sake of judgment and hell, I don't know about that. Let me just say this. Why do the Ninevites repent? Why? Go ahead, I'm listening. (laughs) Because they were escaping judgment in hell. No other reason, because he told them nothing else. They were repenting because they believed that God would kill them and throw them into the hottest place that has ever been. They fully believed it. They believed God, not Jonah. Jonah wanted them to go there. But little did he know, or I'm sure he certainly did know, that in his warning that, that, that it could possibly, they would actually believe what he said and believe that God would do something like that and repent and turn to him. That was the last thing Jonah wanted to happen, but that's exactly what happened. So the Ninevites repented because of to escape judgment. So some say that, um, that to escape judgment is not that good of a reason to repent. And I would say, um, I would say it's good enough good enough it's good enough you can't tell you can't you can't condemn a sinner guys they're already condemned you can't tell a person that that they're washed up and that they're hell bound and that God will throw them into hell guys that's exactly what the Bible says in fact it says unless we tell them that people don't repent they don't repent why should I seek a Savior if I don't think I need to be saved you see tell me why I need to be saved what, what's actually coming for me then a Savior makes sense. You tell me God loves me and has a plan for my life when I'm washed up in sin. I'm thinking as a sinner, as a, as a self-made, uh, self-conscious, self-righteous uh, uh, person, of course he loves me. I'm awesome. Of course he does. No, tell me the message of what's the consequences of my sin. A place called hell. Very real place. A place that God doesn't want you to go. That's the reason why he's wasted, or I should say, why he's taken so much time to write and deliver to you a book like this. Why he's created places like this where we can come together and worship and hopefully somebody that knows what they're talking about can stand up and speak to us about the truth and tell us. God cares. God cared about a group of people that were not asking for them, not looking for him, not caring about him. God drug a man out of the fish guts to take him there to speak to them. Because God loves them, and he knows what's coming, and he doesn't want them to get it. And he's doing the same thing for us. He's doing the same thing every day. I want to ask you if you would bow your heads, please. Close your eyes as we consider the things that God said to us today. God hears us even though we're disobedient. God hears us even though we're still in judgment. He's not paying us back. He's bringing us back, right? Right? Maybe the prayer you need to pray today is the prayer of Samuel. Speak, God. I'm listening. God's speaking to us through our difficult circumstances. God speaks to us and the consequences of our disobedience. Fixing our hearts on the the obedience. Make it our goal to obey the first time. Not have a plan, not have a... Um, a view toward how many times we can we get God to forgive us kind of lifestyle not a good plan turning to him in repentance turning away from whatever we thought could save us could rescue us what's your plan? you're going to stand before God a holy God someday he's going to say why should I let you into my heaven? what's going to be your answer? And if it has anything to do with who you are and what you've done you're in trouble God sent Jesus to be a savior because you needed to be saved get that word get that word in your head I need to be saved Jesus we thank you that you are the savior the rescuer we're completely dependent upon you we don't trust in our ability we don't trust in our knowledge or our experience we trust in you to work your work we trust in you, God. You're the missionary. You're the evangelist. We're your tools, God. I pray that you do your work today. Thank you, God, for working our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.